Welcome to Tiger Pops Podcast, a place to dissect, analyze, and swoon over the webtoon Midnight Poppyland. Every week, we'll go through another episode and break down character development, relationship regression, plot, symbolism, body language, and more. And of course, we'll be bringing out those tinfoil hats for some theory time. Every week, we'll be joined by sharp-witted, detail-obsessed, and dare I say, thirsty fans ready to tackle the latest gem. Let the analysis begin. I want to let you know about a treat we have for this episode and most upcoming episodes. You can now view the video recording of this episode on the Tiger Pops YouTube channel. So if you want to watch the host faces as we discuss the episode, you can head over to YouTube and search for Tiger Pops Podcast to enjoy. See you there! Hi everyone and welcome to episode 49 of Tiger Pops. And today is a special day because it's the beginning of having four people on at once. So we've had Fida on before, but we have two new people, Priya and Megan, and I'm so excited for them to introduce themselves. And since we haven't heard from them before, we're also going to be hearing about why they love the Night Puppy Line, which is super awesome. And we're also going to be doing our favorite secondary character. Okay, so let's start with um, Megan for alphabetical order. Hello, my name is Megan. Um, I am... 32 and i am in oregon where you know lots of fire lots of you know riots in portland and you know everything's falling apart if you believe <laughs> what they say but um i love midnight midnight poppy land first because the art is amazing um it's one of the few anatomically correct um in more ways than one um <laughs> the comics out there like especially on webtoons and secondly because i feel like uh lily actually tells the truth of what the human experience is um the the good and the bad when a lot of times that kind of stuff is glossed over so i i appreciate that point of view because as somebody who has gone through many a troubled time um not everything is roses <laughs> Or I guess in this case, poppies? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Hi, everyone. I'm Priya. I'm a pediatrics resident in St. Petersburg, Florida. I'm so excited to be on the podcast. I discovered Midnight Poppy Land during quarantine, as many of us did, and it really helped me through some tough times, as did this podcast. Um, the biggest thing is just like working through a lot of things that have happened in my life. And of course, the art is so gorgeous and it's just such a beautiful story. Um, and my favorite secondary character, I would have to say, is Erdine. She is hair goals and tattoo goals and style goals and best friend goals. And I love her. That's awesome. I was actually thinking of getting, um, like a purple and blue wig. And I was like, oh my gosh, I can cosplay Erdine with that. <laughs> I feel like I'm, I am most like in terms of personality, but but Megan, let's get back to your secondary character. Yeah, I just remembered that. Ah, <laughs> uh, that gosh, that's a hard one. Um, I'd have to say you. Um, I I love his loyalty. I love his loyalty and his willing to lend a, a listening and non judgmental ear, which I feel like Tora doesn't always get. Yeah, hundred percent. Um, Vida. Yeah, hey guys, I'm Vida. Um. It's been a while since I posted anything on Patreon. Uh, I'm currently a fourth year medical student. I've had a lot of board exams and applications coming up. 
so I'm not quite as involved as I would have wanted to be in the community. Uh, you might remember me from one of the earlier um, podcasts. I think it was Quincy's Angels. I'm kind of blanking on it. Um, but um, it's always a pleasure to talk to you guys and connect with you guys. I love being able to see your faces, to be honest. Um, sorry, viewers, you're only getting to see our, hear our voices. Um, one of the things that I've really loved about Midnight Poppyland is not just like how cerebral Lily makes it. Like she makes you work for the information. Uh, I usually only find that in like really good novels. To me, it's such an like a novelty. Sorry for the pun. Uh, to find it in a webtoon, to be honest. So I love the fact that she's able to add a, such a large layer of depth. Uh, and meaning into small little details more than that though like with the covid pandemic as, as with most of us out there there have been times where things just got a little bit overwhelming to be honest and one of the things that surprised me especially about the comic is what parts resonate what parts have resonated with me on a personal level and I remember that there was a post um, that I put on Patreon where I felt, I really felt that I connected to Torah, to be honest. It was when his struggles were made real as a child. And it was one of those moments where I thought to myself, if Torah can get through this, then I can get through this too. And just being able to think that to myself and also to connect with the other community members on Patreon as a result of it. Um, it just made the world of a difference, to be honest. So I love the fact that you can find those little, those little moments, and you don't know which ones they are, uh, and just really connect with and resonate to. And um, my favorite secondary character is probably Alice, to be honest. Uh, I love me a sassy grandma, but like more than that, she's she and Joe are probably the reasons why Tora has such a human side to him like he's able to emotionally connect to poppy and to understand her and yeah that's that's all alice and joe so alice is my favorite side character no oh, that's awesome and Vita, you know relating to what you were saying about um midnight Poppyland getting you through hard times and you know looking at torah as an inspiration so that's a, a little personal i guess but i don't have any filter or like sense of privacy but um, recently I was also going through like a very emotionally overwhelming thing and I saw Torah at that point as like a source of strength and like he was very this was a little bit before he started showing his vulnerable side in the comic um, since then I've kind of seen him more as like a human being with with you know weaknesses and like emotional vulnerabilities but this was before when he was much more stoic and I I pictured him it was I was like I was I was like rasping for a lifeline so I pictured him comforting me and just talking to me and telling me it'll be okay. It'll be okay. Don't worry. And I mean, that really, it was like, it was, it was very, very helpful that like very tumultuous night. So, you know, thank you, Lily, for providing that imaginary figure that I could lean upon. Just, you know, I, I needed a crutch and Tora was that crutch. Um, yeah. And so in terms of like my favorite secondary character, it's also you, Megan. And he's <laughs> you because um, he's such a good person. And you said he's loyal and he's, yeah, hundred percent. He's loyal. He's there for his friends. He's unassuming. He's humble and he's just always there for them. And I, I love that. And I think that's such a beautiful quality. 
Oh yeah, it's hard to find yourself a good loyal friend. I recently saw on Instagram some art of you and Erdine together, and my heart exploded because that had occurred to me a few weeks ago, and I think that that would be so cute. Yeah, um, maybe I'll link it. I think it's Clyde Sousa by Clyde Illustrata, who does that art, and kudos to her because she does amazing art. There's tons of beautiful people who do, do great art, and that one's one of them. Um, I have a very unpopular opinion because I know how many shippers there are for you and Erdine. There was a comment Jacob made in the earlier chapters that had me thinking Erdine uh, played for the other side. Oh, the one where the one where he says, you know, stop, don't touch her breasts, basically. Yeah, mm. yeah. Like you could take it one of either way, um, but I mean, I think that's the beauty of the comic too. Like I, I read it differently, and everyone loves Erdine and you, and I don't want to take that away. Like I love, I love the love. <laughs> right, I love the artwork, but I'll tell you, I don't think that they would work as a relationship. Because to me, Erdine is very, very strong-minded, and Gyu seems like he would be too passive for her. I think Erdine would need someone more sharp, but it could also be the opposite attract that she would like him because of that. But I don't see it working personally. But I still like the art itself illustrates like their tenderness and their love beautifully. So I, I love seeing that. I would love to see what kind of chemistry they have in the room because I think, I think there would be a lot of chemistry for me personally. I think it would need more friendship. Um, but that's, that's just me. Well, we'll find out if, uh, you know, if there's going to be anything between those two. <laughs> okay, so ready to get into it? Yeah. I just wanted to say one thing. I thought it was interesting that the, this is the first thumbnail in Webtoon that's, um, an inanimate object. And so that might have some significance. I thought that that was Wow, I did not think about that. I, re I kind of subconsciously realized that, but that's a really good point. That's, I mean, it's clearly yeah. meant to be the central frame of the episode. Yeah. I mean, she did say in Patreon that it's going to be a plot point. <laughs> I don't think we realize just how big of a plot point it may be. <laughs> yep. Okay, and that's how the episode actually starts out. It starts, it starts out with just a quick recap of last episode. Last episode, Poppy was at Tora's apartment and um they had their reward system presentation <laughs> which is basically uh every time Tora wants to smoke now he can demand that Poppy give him a kiss instead which is fantastic um was it the last episode or was it the episode before I don't even remember but um sorry yeah I think the last episode actually was the dream and where Tora was on Poppy's lap he had the dream going back to him as a kid and Poppy talks about how she feels so relieved that Tora gave her the ability to um, to express her emotions, and he validated those emotions. Yeah. So, so this episode starts out with the the pin. It's Benjamin's text. How much for this? And the person that he's talking to, and we don't know who this person is, says fifty bucks, best offer. If you want higher, come down in person. And some people saw that as a bit suspicious. You know, why would you want to have to come down in person? I mean, obviously, like ostensibly, you know, the person wants to evaluate the pin and see it in person, but in, some people thought that maybe there's some something fishy going on there and that Benjamin could be putting himself in danger by going to this person. So Benjamin's outside, he's tapping, he's on the phone and he's like, 50 bucks, these are epic diamonds and that's all you're offering, which to me is a little bit, you know, it shows two things. It shows a, he's, his desperation 
how much he really wants that money. And also to the point, desperation to the point of maybe um, naivete, you know, it's, uh, you know, he thinks they're diamonds. Like, are they really diamonds? Like, I, do, I didn't think they were diamonds. They, look, they don't look real to me, you know. Um, so it's Wrong like, color. Hmm? Wrong color for diamonds. <laughs> right. Yes, I actually looked it up and red diamonds are actually the rarest kind. And so they probably aren't red diamonds as this person is about to text back. Unless they are, and maybe the hairpin has that much more significance, and maybe the hairpin is there's like money hiding in the hairpin. Whoever might have given it to Poppy. Why would you wear that as a hairpin? Why would you go down to the most dangerous place and wear that as a hairpin? Like, okay. Um, I think that just like for me, like, I don't know. I the way. Um, I don't know if this is coming across right, but like the way I was taught, you don't go into dangerous neighborhoods wearing fine jewelry. You take it all off, you hide it, you don't flaunt it. Um, I guess like my my interpretation was a little bit similar to yours, Mindy, where it was more ornamental, like it was more the what it signifies. I didn't really think of it as diamonds or rubies or jewels or gems. And I think originally too, she had converted it into like from something which I think may have been like a brooch into the hairpin. So there's just there's just I'm questioning Poppy's decisions if that is indeed like jewels. Poppy, come on, you you're smarter than that. Right. So I think Priya, I didn't think about what you said before. Like I always assumed it was cheap, but it could maybe right if it is worth a lot of money then either Poppy does know and she's being naive, like, you know, Vita was saying, and maybe she's being a country girl and just, you know, completely mm-hmm. unaware of how she should behave in dangerous situations. Or maybe she doesn't know that it's expensive. Yeah. Um, and, you know, that could be like a way of passing on money. Or it could be cheap. You know, we don't know. But definitely awesome speculation. Megan, I think you wanted to say something about the pin? Well, I was I was going to mention um, the the fact that it was converted into a hairpin. I'm I'm actually trying to see if I can find out what she said specifically because she did kind of go into detail about how she converted it and every well, not like major detail. Um, I think she added I a mean, bobby pin, so yeah, something pin. along those lines. But I didn't she mention what it was? I I don't remember. Um, I don't. Yeah, if you find it, let us know. I don't remember anything like super interesting about that. But I mean, you know, a bo- putting it on a bobby pin is not very secure either, by the way. So, so I feel like Poppy. No. Is- but the- on the other hand, she did say it was something important to her. And, yeah. you know, so maybe she's just not super careful in general. Okay, so, you know, this is Benjamin and he's getting a text back and he says, the person he's texting says, if those are diamonds, then I'm the king of Naren. What kind of idiot you take me for? $50, take it or leave it. You want a higher price? Bring it down to my shop for valuation. Stop wasting my effing time. And you know what's interesting? Obviously, you see, like, um, Benjamin actually uses punctuation. And, like, you know, he uses an apostrophe. He uses, and, you know, question marks. This person that he's texting with doesn't at all. Like, it's the most run on the sentences you can get. And... Okay, just, you know, what you would, what you would expect from somebody who takes, you know, things like this. Um, again, next panel, Benjamin's looking down, and then you hear from around the corner, you hear this, this word, these words. 
And we saw Ben's sister last night at the strip club. And you're starting to get a little bit of a flashback to Ben going to Club Miracle and what he was doing there, why he said, that's my sister, leave my sister alone. And now you hear his, it's his coworkers. You see they're wearing the same uniform and they're saying, shit, no way. Was she any good? Any good? She's the star of the whole show man. Hell, I do her in a second if she lets me. So thinking about it from Benjamin's perspective, you know, right now we, you know, we think he, that she's a sister, but most people would not want to hear their sister being talked about like that. So you really are understanding why Benjamin is trying to get money and we'll learn more as the episode progresses and also why he went down there to begin with. Megan? I, I almost feel like um, in the panel where, you know, they're, they're talking a little more and, and you can see Ben looks a little frozen. He, he really looks frozen kind of like, Oh, what? And I, I noticed through these panels, there, there seems to be kind of this overarching theme of shame. Um, he seems to be frozen and fighting against the shame, um, which I'm sure we'll go into more detail <laughs> in a few, but that's where I first really noticed, like he's frozen, like he's fearful almost. That's a good point. Yeah. I see that, right? His shoulders are like stiff and yeah. So, and, but, and, but he does immediately interject, you know, he stands up for his sister, sister's honor. And he says, the F are you guys talking about? And, you know, it's in bold. It's all, it's italicized. And then his coworkers are like, oh shoot. Like, you know, she's around the corner. They're sweating and nothing, man. We were just talking about, um, and the other one actually says, oh, for F sake, just say it in his face, which I kind of appreciate actually, um, you know, being, being forthright and, whatever you want to say, say it in public. And, you know, if you don't, if it's not appropriate to say in public, don't say it to begin with, you know? So I, I kind of do appreciate that. Like, I'm, it's being honest. I think part of it too, where some of his frustration or his shame, whether it's right, really placed or not comes from, is the fact that his mom was probably really young when she had him too. Uh, so he probably feels a level of protectiveness over her. Like she was likely in her teens, single mom raised him completely by on her own. And as a result of that, she probably had to get into debt with someone that was super shady because they mentioned the debt a little bit later on in the episode. Um, so I could see where he feels overprotective of her and where she feels that she is doing what she needs to do to provide. Um, so kind of like both aspects of it. It's kind of the way I've I took this, their relationship, at least for right now. Right. And something that I've seen in, in other situations like this, where there's one kid, one man in the family and he, and their, their mom's young. I do feel like sometimes they tend to adopt the role of man of the house and they feel like they have to take that responsibility. Mm -hmm. uh, I've definitely seen that with other people who are the only, the only sons of, of young mothers who are, who don't have a husband. I was kind of thinking through some of the ages as well. I think he must be 16 or 17. Um, I know you can have, like in the States, you can have a job when you're 14. I don't, he doesn't look like a 14 year old to me though. He's a little bit too tall and built for it. I would place mm -hmm. her maybe like 30s, like her early 30s. That's how I was thinking of it, which kind of makes sense then why she's flirting with some of the, um, with the characters that are younger, like Tori is what, 26? Uh, 
So in terms of like age gap and why she looks so youthful, it, it all makes sense. Yeah, I mean, she's, she's, I'm 31, right? Like, so in a couple of years, I could be candy. Yeah. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> um, yeah, it would be nice to be able to be quite so attractive as candy. But anyway. <laughs> you got so, the pink beret on. What? You have your pink beret on. I do. <laughs> Almost like pink hair. But anyway, so the coworker, the honest coworker, which, you know, I, I already have a little bit of a soft spot just for, for that. He says, look, no disrespect, Ben, but we know your sister works at Club Miracle. I'm not going to lie. She's effing hot. And the other coworker is a little more ashamed. And he says, yeah, we figured out the moment we saw her when she came here to pass some shit to you last month. And Benjamin explodes. He's like, well, don't you effing bring that up again. Once I get a hold of enough money, I'm taking her away from that filthy shithole. And he's exploding. And we don't see his eyes the entire episode, basically. We, he's covered his eyes with his with his hair, which is a typical, like, teenage thing for shame and, you know, not being able to be who you are and being just being embarrassed and not having the, the ability to face the world, um, you know, which is something that a lot of teenagers feel, but also particularly Benjamin, I think, especially in this confrontation with his coworkers. So he is completely sensitive about the fact that his sister, you know, quote unquote, works there. And he, you, he tells you his motives right here. He says uh, he's saving up enough money to take her away from that filthy shithole. And again, it's like, it's this protectiveness and, you know, this embarrassment of her working there. And he doesn't, he doesn't want them to talk about it either. And now you see from the background, you see none other than Candy, Candy herself. And she says, so I'm your sister now, huh? Benjamin J. Johnson. And that whole tone of voice right away, I was like, okay, she's his mom. You know, nobody <laughs> says Benjamin J. Johnson, but the mom. And this is the point where the, the coworkers scram. And they're like, oh, let's get back to work. We'll have our smoke break later. And then Benjamin looks, doesn't say anything. And Candy says, guess I should thank you for shaving a few years off my age, little bro. You know, sarcastic. And I just want to note, like, Candy's appearance here, to me, I thought it was very mature and very professional. Like, she is not dressed you know, in, in an exposed way. She's not dressed in a way that really draws attention to herself. She has the long nails and, you know, she has her, her, you know, very nice pink hair and those eyelashes that are clearly fake eyelashes because nobody has that, <laughs> that long eyelashes except for Tora. <laughs> but you know, she's dressed in a very mature, professional, somber outfit. Yeah, I agree. She's dressed as much of a mom as she could possibly be dressed as. And she also has this coin purse on her hand. Um, and we know that she is getting paid and cash and tips. And I wonder if even her bonus was just given as cash, like under the table type thing. Um, I don't see the coin purse in any of the panels after that, but I just thought it was interesting that she was carrying that um, to pass on to Ben, I guess. Right. And one thing I noticed actually, um, she's, she looks like uh, her body, obviously her body is beautiful, but she also looks like she's in good shape, you know, like her, her butts and her glutes, like they just look like they're very well toned. I'm noticing yeah. that as somebody who's like exercising now and I'm, you know, so I, I can see people when they, when they exercise. So she looks like she really takes good care of herself, her body, at least. I, I was, I was really glad you mentioned her butt. Her butt looks amazing. It looks cool. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yep. It's perky. It's round. It's high up there and, you know, <laughs> she it looks great. You know, she's popular, huh? <laughs> so now, Benjamin, what are you here for? Again, like a oh, like, oh, teenager mode, you know, not talking so respectfully to his mom. And his mom says that. She sat down at the ledge. This is rude. 
I got a nice fat bonus today. Thought I'd pass you some money before heading to work. Mm-hmm. So she is, you know, caring. She she cares about him. And, you know, we're going to see more of the interaction, but like she's definitely maternal in the sense that she's, she's taking care of him, right? She's not, he isn't abandoned on the streets. They have a relationship. She's, she's sustaining him. And, you know, now she's just looking at him and here you kind of see like the boob job, right? Like ginormous, ginormous breasts. And she says, now this next panel, she opens her eyes wide. She has this very like that innocent childlike look. And so you think your mom's dirty. And oh, by the way, did you also notice she has pink eyes? Yeah, I noticed that before. I don't know if they're contacts or... Well, I'm assuming they're contacts, unless it's a supernatural world. (laughs) Yeah. So again, you know, this question, obviously, like this is a very hard-hitting question. And I guess if they never talked about it before, it's possible that they just, they never talked about it. But that's like a very tough thing, you know, for for you to ask your kid, like, you think that I'm dirty. So... Go ahead, sorry. Yeah, so I guess I got the sense that this was a recurring conversation, to be honest. Um, I think part of it, too, they're just not seeing where the other one is coming from. Um, Candy, for whatever reason, wants to feel like she's the responsible one, the one taking care of her son. Um, But her son wants to see his mom kind of free of her shackles. And they keep seeing the worst side of the other person which is why they're having this dysfunctional type of relationship right now um yeah because like he didn't call her dirty he called the place that she's working at dirty and i mean like the reputation that airy street has i mean it makes sense to be honest um and i think for her she's just it's a point of pride that she needs to be the breadwinner and she just doesn't see a better way to get out yeah um, the, I think there was a question of whether that or not they even live together because this is like the second time that she's just stopping by to pass him money. So presumably maybe they don't. Um, and we know from before that um, he either attends or lives at some sort of a center that Quincy volunteers at and he's like Quincy's student. Um, so I'm, I don't know how much of, of each other they actually see and are able to have these conversations. That's a very good point. I didn't think about that. That makes sense, actually. Um, I mean, I'm going to have kind of a... I, I've already noticed, like, on the Facebook group, I may have a somewhat unpopular opinion. I think Candy's setting him up. Hmm. I feel like she has her own projections of her own feelings against herself, and she's already starting it. So you think your mom's dirty? I mean, she didn't go in with like, hey, you know, I, I overheard how you felt. I mean, you heard you really aren't liking my place of work. I mean, she's supposed to be the adult, the the parent, and you don't have to, you don't want to um, just go in at your kid already with kind of these assumptions. She, I mean, and then she kind of nags on him. Oh, I mean, your sister, it it feels like she just keeps digging at him and I understand that she may be offended. I mean, and I'm going through this with a 14 year old, but just because the teenager is coming at you with some offensive phrases and other things, it's my job to keep my cool and, and, and interpret that for what her needs are. Okay, you're telling me, you're saying these kind of nasty, mean things. 
I'm going to, you know, hold, first of all, hold you accountable for saying those nasty mean things. But then on the other end, I'm going to find out why you're saying these. What are you protecting yourself? I mean, like, where, what are you trying to get here? And I feel like she, she's not recognizing those needs. I think you're, I think you're right. And, you know, Candy is, is a person too. I, I totally get that. She's also young, like we were talking about before. She's probably just in her thirties and she probably didn't have time to grow up, you know, instead yeah. of like, she had, a, you know, a lot of us sometimes, hopefully, right. When we, we grow up to be adults, we, we have a couple of years where we can mature and settle and go from adolescence to adulthood. And, but she probably skipped that stage and had to grow up really fast. And often people like that just don't have the emotional resources that they might've had if they had had more time for themselves. But that's a very good point that you picked up on that. I, I I could see that where she's egging him on. And, you know, what I really liked what you said about it possibly coming from a place of shame within her where she feels like I want to defend myself. So let me bring it up so that I can defend myself. So, you know, Ben, you know, she's like, like, whoops, I met your sister. Ben says, I didn't say that. I says the place you work at, not you. And now she, you know, now she's ready to like, right, you know, come on, Ben, you know, I'm an open-minded woman. Just tell me what you really think already. Right. Which is again, I, I agree. Yeah. I gave him on. And here she is defending herself. I mean, I'm making an honest living over here. So what's wrong with that? Okay. So I put in an act here and there just to get the business flowing, but I'm not cheating or stealing or begging. Besides, these are just implants. Think of them as two plastic bobs sitting on my chest, which is like <laughs> way to make your son uncomfortable. Oh my God. <laughs> so awkward for him to talk to his mom about about her breasts <laughs> yeah like, mom let me just talk about <laughs> she definitely sees herself as a modern free woman um with no filters and maybe she shouldn't have a filter on her son or maybe like megan said she has to get it off her chest and like no mm. i didn't mean that as a pun but like <laughs> you know maybe she is walking around especially obviously after he said that you know she's walking around with this feeling of shame so she has she wants to justify herself and i think she i think there's there's probably both and you know what it's probably because you know i'm assuming narian right is a city that has the same similar ideology there's a lot of people look down at sex workers and you know they're viewed with a sense of like you know oh this is this is low low class this is disgusting this is animalistic and, you know, so she's probably walking around with that on, on the one hand. But then on the other hand, everything she just said now, I'm making an honest living. I'm not cheating. I'm not stealing. I'm not begging. I'm not, there's no violence involved. You know, people are paying me for a service. So I really like how this whole, this whole episode really brings out, I think, a very important issue. And I'm not particularly like well-educated on, on sex work. Um, I don't, so I can't claim any special knowledge, but I, I will say it is something that I've thought about. Um, as a person, because I was raised very, you know, religiously conservative where, um, you know, I was, uh, we were taught to cover up and, you know, you have to respect yourself and you should, you know, walk, think about, think of yourself as a princess and princesses always are covered up and dignified and like very much taught, like, you know, we recovered our elbows, our knees and like our not to wear something tight. And like, you know, we don't want to draw attention to your body because you're a soul. And as I grew up, I realized that there was a part of that, that like negated the importance of the body and its place in, in human life. Um, it was also a little bit of an anti-sex attitude. And I had to really work on, on changing that when I, when I got married and I started having sex with my husband. So if we're going to talk about my sex life on the podcast, <laughs> um, let's go. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I'm very open. Like I don't mind, but I really, it took me a long time to get that sense of shame out of myself 
um, and to accept that my body had feelings and that it was okay because I had been taught that, you know, you don't, you're, you're, and there was a very wonderful element in that where I was taught you're, you're a soul and you're an intellect and, you know, you're, you're, you're free choice. And that's what makes you a human. And that's why, how you're better than an animal because an animal doesn't have free choice. An animal that cannot make moral decisions, but you know, so you're, you're not an animal. So don't indulge in your desires too much. You know, don't like be a glutton. Don't wallow in, you know, your, in, don't wallow in bed all day. Don't like eat too much ice cream. And by same virtue, don't, you know, I realized don't enjoy sex too much because that was something that was too animalistic. And it took me years, literally years to like knock that out of me. And my husband didn't grow up the way I did. My husband um, is a convert to Judaism and he had a very healthy sexual attitude. He was very pro-sex. And um, after being with him for a while, I realized that, you know, I should not be ashamed of that, be ashamed of my sexual feelings and of enjoying my body. So, and Lily's Patreon, actually, I said this a couple of times, Lily's Patreon really helped me a lot with that too, because I saw the first time I saw like Lily and sorry, Tora and Poppy together, I just saw love. And I said, that's beautiful. You know, this is just a couple yeah. expressing love with each other with their bodies. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so I thought in general about like about sex work and like, you know, I was just really, really trying to think about it and like, what do I think about it? And like, is it, um, is it something disgraceful? Is it something that's predatory to women? Is it something that is disrespecting women? Like when you look at a woman for her body or, you know, for men also, and I'm not so familiar with that, but you know, is it disrespectful? Is it something that is like, are you devaluing them or are you just admiring them and appreciating like their gifts or like their special strength? You know, is it something that's empowering or is it something that's degrading? And I think that Candy is really struggling with this as well. Candy, Ben, and probably a lot of the audience. So let's share your thoughts. I just said a whole bunch. So not to make myself sound like an expert because I'm not. Um, I worked with, so I did my bachelor's in science and psychology with a focus in neuroscience, but I, you know, worked my way up into neuroscience and I did end up working with a professor for a little while doing focus groups, um, on women in sex work. Um, so I didn't get to the focus group part. I was just one of many people in the st- in the line to get to the point of focus groups, which if you know in, in science and research and that kind of stuff, you, you, there are many people in the line behind you who have set you up to, for your spot. Um, and you know, it, it's a multifaceted <laughs> issue. <laughs> um, first of all, there's the legality of it. I mean, you're, you're, we don't know about Naren. Um, well, for a, for somebody who um, does exotic dancing and that sort of thing, obviously there's probably very little legality surrounding that, especially on like Aries. But if you're talking about like um, people who um, say like a prostitute and that kind of stuff, there there's the issue of legality, but then there's the issue of, okay, are they, because you can be part of groups or you can be a kind of a singles kind of escort, you're your own businesswoman or businessman, um, however you want to go about it. Um, but then you have to worry about like, okay, the people who are in the groups, 
they're most likely like involved from sex trafficking. So that's where a lot of um, the coercion and the um, inability to consent for self because they've been forced into this this um, trade. Whereas somebody who's making the informed choice to say, I want to go off and do that. I mean, obviously there's a big, huge difference in that. And there shouldn't, I mean, we, the shoulda, coulda, wouldas, there shouldn't be a, um, society shouldn't look down on people who engage in sex work <laughs> mainly um because a lot of i mean your your religious upbringing is not uncommon i grew up mormon uh, mormon and i had i mean the amount that they drill into you like you should not touch yourself you should not touch your own body you should not think unpure thoughts you should not engage with anyone except for your husband like it, it gets pretty strict and i grew up with a massive amount of shame um even surrounding like oh we're gonna <laughs> you want to go into tmi let's go into tmi land i even had trouble like um even doing things like masturbation as a, as a, you know, growing teenager, which would, you know, keep me from having sex with boys <laughs> in my case, I'm heterosexual. So, um, but just imagine the fact that you are doing something that is biologically normal, um, and healthy and you have so much shame surrounding it. In fact, I had a, such a troubled relationship with the idea of, of sex and things like that, that I ended up, um, becoming a victim of, of abuse. Um, and it's because you become, you're so blind to, um, grooming that you don't realize that somebody's grooming. Cause if you knew about sex or if you knew about some of those intricacies, you could see what are they doing? They're taking me down this path that I know I'm not ready for yet or whatever, instead of me just falling right down because I had no experiences to kind of guide me because it's so closed off. So I think whenever we censor things like sex in general, or even things like sex workers or having dignity as for them as human beings, um, we're closing off so many things that lead down to so many different pathways of <laughs> a lot of negativity. <laughs> Sorry, that was a long answer. No, I mean, that's perfect because this is like this, issue that's being raised with candy and ben's shame i mean it's i think it's 100 so yeah. relevant and i definitely i want to hear everyone's thoughts on this because i think this is like a huge issue and i think it's just very worthy of discussion so um yeah so i really appreciate this humanization of the sex work because i think it's it's just so stigmatized and mindy i agree with you um the shame and stigma from sex work as well as like daily sex is can be often very rooted in culture. Um, and I think Lily is definitely giving um, a gift to a lot of us in um, helping shift how we perceive healthy sexuality and consent. And we've seen, you know, or Dean as a strong character saying, oh, you know, I have healthy desires. And I'm sure we're going to see a lot more of that in, um, in, the, coming, in the coming episodes. Yeah, that's kind of interesting because, you know, Torah makes a lot of sexual jokes. <laughs> and um, when I met my husband, my husband also makes sexual jokes like from today to tomorrow. And at first it shocked me. But as I have started having more of a healthy sexuality, um, and particularly, again, again, I, I thank Lily Dusk. I've, I've 
just I go along with it now and now I make my own sexual jokes because I'm okay with that and I think that's fine I don't think it's crude or rude I think it's normal and funny <laughs> but you know I wonder if like you know I think a big deal for Tori and Poppy you were talking about consent I think Poppy is very uncomfortable with her sexuality right now I don't think she's blossomed into it you know we know from jewelry that she wasn't ready for anything physical with him and she's always ashamed whenever Tor brings anything up and Tora doesn't seem to be. I think Tora is, very, is, is um, conversant with his sexuality and is comfortable with his sexuality. So I actually would be very interested in seeing how Tora helps bring that out of her and, you know, helps her understand, you know, it's okay to be physical. I desire you. And that's a good thing. It's interesting, too, because Hopley definitely sees Tora as, like, as sexy. Uh, like, she literally was censoring herself. He's not a piece of meat. He's not a piece of meat. So it's been really interesting to see that coming through in her personality. But like, as you were saying, we know that she's, she hasn't been ready for a complete, like a sexual encounter in the past. Um, I guess going back to sex work though. Um, yeah, it's just interesting because we've had, uh, some similar upbringings just from different religions i grew up roman catholic for example so um yeah the shame of god was you know kind of over my shoulder for a good many number of years um and funny enough it was actually fan fiction uh just i honestly i think it was twilight fan fiction if i'm really being honest about it in like middle school and high school that started just normalizing (laughs) sexual encounters for me um, cause I mean, I agree with you guys. I remember feeling shame and confused and how is this supposed to be a normal part of life if I, if I don't like this part of myself type thing. And just having that exposure to fun encounters on fan fiction sites just helped me, to be honest. Um, and I think in terms of sex work in general, it's not the act, but it's more the systems that set up the sex workers um, for failure, to be honest. I think it's the systems that take advantage of many of the women and even men that go into the business because um, they recognize like they look for young people. They look for people without experience. They know they're like they know who to target and as a result because of their naivete they can get taken advantage of in a really horrible way um so that's just my two cents just kind of leaving it at that i think it's a system that doesn't set up uh sex workers for success but that said i think i i do have hope for fans only uh, that new app that actually puts the power into the people, like into the people that are putting out the images and videos of themselves. Um, I'm really hopeful that with more programs like that out, that like that out there, where people can have more control over their own image, uh, it'll help with the like decrease the stigma, but also re position the power where it should be, which is back to the individual and not on whoever is quote unquote controlling them. That's really interesting. I I did hear of that website. Um, Never went on it, but 
I'm not much at the porn myself, but, um, but that, that, that is right. Am I, am I understand correctly? If this fans only is like, I guess, Patreon only porn, page. am I correct? <laughs> so, as far as I understand. Yeah. It, it's like you, you have your own profile, you, um, you know, market and, and all of that. I mean, I'm, I don't really, I mean, except for Patreon, uh, with Lily, that's the only <laughs> erotica I look at. <laughs> yeah. Same here. Um, one thing, you know, it's interesting. My, my husband is, is from Amsterdam. Well, he's from Zandam, right outside of Amsterdam. But, you know, that's some, they, they legalize prostitution there in an attempt to decriminalize it and to make, make, um, to get that shadiness out of it so that it wouldn't be, you know, there wouldn't be these, you know, terrible handlers and, you know, um, to try to make it above board and to, to protect women. And I don't know, I never looked into like the results and if, 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 if it's safer there. I know that that was their their attempt. A lot of countries they um, decriminalize um, the prostitution side, but they criminalize the John side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, where like if you go out and seek it, then you're doing something bad. But if you are providing that service, you are not. So that way, I mean, because obviously getting that person in trouble, I mean. They they already are in a system where they don't need to worry about legal ramifications. Um, I mean, it's not like it's going to affect their job. Um, so, but whenever you criminalize the John, then you're like saying this is not appropriate on your end. You know better than to exploit somebody. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So bringing it back to the cartoon. Um, so going back to like Benjamin's suicide mission so you know um somebody i think tina oliviera was saying that why why would it be a suicide mission for him to like what what is up with his like what does it mean for him to have gone on a suicide mission so he's going there and is it that candy she was saying speculating maybe candy is owes a debt in particular to vincent or she's some in some way like a more important person than just like a stripper that it, attempting to take her away from from the miracle club would be so pivotal that like somebody would want to kill him for that. I don't know. I'm a little puzzled by that. What what, what thoughts do you have? Yeah, I put a lot of thought into this. Um, we know that Ben goes into Miracle and says, "Hey, that's my sister," as a cover to pass the note to Mister Lamb. Um, and Candy wasn't actually one of the girls at the time because she had left earlier for her performance. Um, but it seems like he had thought of saying or doing that anyway, even before Poppy paid him to do it. Um, and we do know it was a suicide mission. So I didn't know if it was him with the attention of barging into his mom's performance, ruining it and maybe getting killed or something completely different that he had put up, been put up to by someone else that wasn't related. Um, but as we'll see in the next um, panel, we, he, we they're talking about Candy's debt. And I wonder if Candy's debt to the clan goes deeper than just monetary and that she knows too much now. She's It, it honestly, it seems like she's just in way too deep and she maybe got into tr- trouble somewhere in the past and is at the clan's mercy. Um, but Vincent did say in the past that, you know, if a dog strays, then it will be shot. And so I, I can definitely see how they're very stuck in this situation. Go ahead, Vida. 
Oh, um, yeah. So two things um, to support, like your observation that she she's likely in the clan. She was there during Vincent's fiftieth um, birthday. Uh, there's that picture of her and Tora uh, that uh, Officer Lane has. So we we know that she's there. Um, and I mean, when she was there at Miracle uh, more recently, she was hanging out with all the clan members. I think, I, I would say I agree with you. Um, there's some kind of debt that I, that I think that she owes to the clan. Um, and I think, I guess this was my question for you guys, because it's something that I haven't quite puzzled through enough yet. It's actually, um, uh, Ben's relationship to the gang, to the clan. Because he's Quincy's student. Does he know who Quincy is? Is he getting groomed for the clan? I don't think he is because he seems to be so dead set against getting his mom out of the clan that it just, it wouldn't make logical sense to me. But I'm wondering what his relationship has been with the clan as well, especially with him being Quincy's student and Quincy being like, you know, the mob king, like the uh, Vincent's son. So I... I guess I just kind of like leave more questions instead of answering them. <laughs> so I think there's a couple of details, like little things are popping around in my head. And I also made a lot of notes on, I actually went back to previous episodes or yeah, episodes um, trying to figure out the connection with Ben. So first when Ben is, um, when Poppy gets Ben over to Quincy's house, um, Tora tells him call the doctor and you know reminding Quincy to call the doctor and finally he goes oh yes clan protocols so I think he's involved in the clan additionally it's rather interesting that Ben works at a grocery store just down the street from Tora's apartment mm. um and his mom is part of Club Miracle additionally also his mom is is raising a lot of flags for me too because i remember in episode 23 she's looking for tora because she's wanting to chat him up for info hmm. is this info involved with her debt and i mean whose debt is it is it hers or is it her is it ben's is it i mean maybe that's why ben is so feel takes it so personally because it's his debt and he feels like he needs to pay it off um, I mean, I had a lot of questions about this debt, but also, like, what the heck is Candy trying to get from Tora? So somebody actually talked about this, about why why is Candy interested in Tora? And let me see who it was. I just want to, oh, yeah, it was it was also Tunia Oliveira. She was speculating that maybe whatever Candy's debt is to the clan, maybe she feels that because Tora is the right-hand man of Vincent and so high up, maybe he can protect her and help her out in that, whatever it is. And, you know, and or maybe she, maybe it's also, she was thinking maybe it's protection in general from being abused. And, you know, we're like, oh, that's Tora's girl. Don't mess with her. You know, like she's just a stripper. Don't, don't do anything else to her. Which I thought was very interesting. Yeah. She is a little, I would think Tora is a little too young for her. And yeah, you know, okay, maybe the age difference is not so great. Maybe she, she, you know, she is interested in him just like because he's, you know, hot. But maybe there is a bit of that like protection or, or the information. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I wonder if Candy is trying to find Tora to join forces with him to 
sabotage clan clan business and kind of go that direction with it. Very interesting. That mm-hmm. is very interesting. Mm-hmm. How would she be privy to something like that? That's, I mean, or or do you think they just ended up on the same wavelength kind of air thing? I don't. Hmm. I guess the only hesitancy I have with that train of thought is um, I, I went back to 23, like you said. It sounded like the moment she found out, the moment she heard from Claude that Claude said Tora was gay, she got really, really angry, which to me sounded more like she was interested in maybe not a romantic relationship, but using her feminine wiles to get something from him. So it didn't really sound like a partnership to take down the clan type of thing. I think it's more manipulation against something else. And I guess for me, it makes more sense that she would be looking out for herself and for her son. I don't know. I, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if I'm with you on that particular theory, unfortunately. Right. I hear that. That's definitely, I also was, was thinking of that. It's true. Her reaction is very much like disappointed that she can't manipulate him and I think you're right you know I don't think we have to necessarily judge Candy for for wanting to be manipulative um or to take you know to use Torah because um I think that both Ben and the same reason I extend sympathy to Ben for stealing Poppy's um Poppy's pin because he wants money I would extend to Candy because they both are in hard situations and when people are pushed against the wall they do things that um you know a person who isn't pushed against the wall doesn't have to make the decision whether to do or not so I'm not judging judging them for that. In the episode, have we gotten to the part where she loses her temper yet? Mm. Um, no, not yet. So, yes, yeah, so let's let's continue. So she says, Ben, and uh, you know, this is bringing tying into what we were saying. So first, you know, Ben says, "Look, mom, this is effing uncomfortable to talk about. So just drop it, okay? But you promise you'll leave as soon as I earn enough money to pay off her debt, right? And you know, this is what he wants. And Candy is says, Ben, don't be naive, which. This is something that could sign, you know, could signal to us that it's more than just money, that there is some kind of clan involvement where, like, she's indebted to them in a way that money won't pay off, which yeah. is sad. You know, either that or, or the amount of debt is, like, so huge that she thinks Ben will never be able to pay it off. But I do think it's more than money. And, you know, he says, and you're not, you know, you're not naive. You really think those sleaze bags are into you for who you are, not what you look like, which to me is... Maybe that is a reference to something that's like, why would he even ask that? Like, it's obvious that like people who are going to a strip club are going for, you know, to, for what she looks like. So like, it's a kind of a question that's like, it's a silly question. Like nobody, you know, Candy's not saying that they're into her for who she is. I don't know. What did, what do you think of that? Do you think it's just Ben being, you know, kind of young or do you think it's something more to that? I don't think they're very good with their words. <laughs> um, I think they just have a dysfunctional relationship, to be honest. And um, I feel like Candy heard that as an insult, and that's not necessarily what Ben was trying for. He was just kind of like, hey, open your eyes. They don't care about you type thing. They only care about your looks. And she kind of like, it's almost patronizing. He's being a bit patronizing towards her. Um, and I think that's one of the reasons why she exploded. And um, one of the observations I wanted to make, actually, they are totally son and mom, to be honest. They're totally related. They both explode. They both say, call each other the same exact thing. I know I'm jumping ahead, but like, I kind of thought it was a bit endearing that they call each other dumbasses. Um, they're related. 
so I think that's just part of who they like what their personalities are. They're both volatile and they haven't quite figured out a productive way to communicate with each other. I I think a lot of this is Ben is misunderstanding that she is kind of in a hopeless situation. She's yeah. she's on the area of like I'm this is I don't know why you're even trying cuz she's experienced this for far longer than Ben has. Ben has the eyes of youth, the eyes of hope, the eyes of if I work hard enough, if I do this, if I do that, I can still get out of this. And Candy's looking at it from the eyes of somebody who has tried. And she is just hopeless right now. And Ben is misinterpreting it that as willful, I mean, willfully not doing anything, just being mm-hmm. like, whatever, I'll just ride with this. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's where it really breaks down is the fact that she's not communicating. Like you think I haven't tried. I mean, and he mistakes her kind of quiet desperation as just willful ignorance. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. That's a very good point about the, you know, the difference between like the understanding of youth and the understanding of, of, you know, of an older person. And um, I actually, I just want to harken back before we get to like the, the next part. Um, I want to correctly attribute, um, Shayla was the one who said that, um, the suicide mission, that maybe that somebody really wants Candy to stay there. And, um, you know, that it would have been useless to try to get her out. And, um, Laura Starr was thinking that maybe the third person, remember Tora reference, you know, you saved three people tonight. So there was Mr. Mm-hmm. Lamb, there was Benjamin, and then she was thinking maybe the third person is Candy. Do you think that makes sense? What do you think of that? I was thinking it was actually going to be um oh, what was his name the the creeper guy. So here I thought okay oh that's like recontextualization. So originally the way I read it was that Doctor uh, sorry Mr. Lamb would die, Ben would die, and then for retribution uh, Tora would kill someone. That's the way yeah. I read it, and I Same think thing. it was not who what was his name? I'm totally blanking. Um shark. Shark shark yeah. My my thought was Shark, that Tori would kill Shark as a result because he would be so mad after seeing uh, Poppy upset that he killed Doc, uh, Mr. Liam. Um, I guess I was thinking more, like, it wasn't necessarily Candy's importance to the clan that would cause it to be a suicide mission for Ben. The way I read it originally was that the clan was just that dangerous, where if you go in and start making demands, they're not going to take that kindly and they're going to off you. Which I think um, the guy with the braids, I used to be so good with these names. Shima. Yeah, where he, um, I think he was the one that kicked him out. I don't remember. The, I put down the accountant did, so. The accountant. Yeah, yeah. like basically like they would have gone uh, into the alleyway and just killed him outright, to be honest. Especially if Poppy wasn't there to kind of like be there for him. That's how I read it too. Hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, well, we'll I'm I'm hoping it's one of those things we'll find out, but maybe not. So, you know, Pop, um, Candy's reaction to to Ben saying this is she slaps him, she slaps him in the face, and this is you really see she's getting she's upset. She has tears in her eyes, her hands are on her hips, and she says, you know, and you really think I have the luxury to care? And you know, you she's really really distraught. Her eyebrows are furrowed, and you know, I'm just doing the best I can with what I have to keep us alive. Okay. Um, okay. And she's like, an F, maybe I am naive because I sure as hell didn't think I'd raise my son to be such a judgmental, self-centered asshole. And 
you know, Ben at this point, he's like, he's turned away. His, his face has like that slap mark on him. And she's really distraught. You know, she is upset at her. Ben's words have like hit her heart. Yeah. I and wish she hadn't slapped him. What? I wish she didn't slap him. Huh? I'm not surprised. I mean, he's also, I feel like those kind of slaps, like to me, it's not, it doesn't, I don't feel like they hurt that much. I mean, have I been slapped as an adult in my face? No, but you know, definitely been slapped when I was younger. And I mean, to me, I don't, and it's not about the pain. It's about the emotion and it's about the, the offense. You know, she's expressing that she's so offended and, you know, it's, it's, um, you know, physical violence is when you have so much anger in you that you, you have to take it out somehow and words are not enough for her. She, she's overwhelmed by feeling and she has to express that in a physical way. And, you know, she's, this is where you can tell when, that, you know, when somebody is actually, like you said, ashamed of what they're doing, because the fact that she's so defensive and then it hurts her so much means that this is something she thinks about a lot and she walks around with a lot of shame. Because if she was really secure in herself and, and what she's doing, she wouldn't get so reactive. Yeah. And yeah, you know, she's calling her son like a judgmental, self-centered asshole, which is, it's tough. It's really tough to hear that, you know, and for the mom to say that to her son. But you could kind of tell that there was mis- miscommunication between them for, for a while. It, it comes down to that projection thing I was saying earlier. Like, she's saying that about him, you know, being that judgmental, self-centered asshole. I feel like she's also saying that to herself because a lot of, I mean, because like you were saying, they really are family. I mean, they're definitely mother and son. And I feel like she's seeing a lot of herself in him and he's making a lot of the same decisions. And a lot of times when we, when we see our kiddos doing that, we're like, oh, hell no, you aren't going down the same pathway I did. I will stop you. Like... (laughs) And so you end up kind of doing some um, not well thought out things that hurt a lot of feelings. And sometimes our deep inside emotions come out because you're seeing yourself in the mirror and in your kid. Yeah, I think that's a a very good point. Just to add to that, too, I don't think Candy wants to be doing what she's doing. Like, if she could choose to do something else, I think she would choose it. It's just the fact that she's trapped. And I think what we see in that panel, too, is her frustration that Ben doesn't get it. Um, Yeah, he just doesn't get it. Right. And, you know, for her, like, she she probably wants sympathy and understanding and respect, you know, for, for doing what she has to do. Right? She's doing the best it can to keep us alive. You know, it's something that, like, she... At the very least, right? She doesn't want more judgment. She wants somebody to respect her and to appreciate like what she's sacrificing to to keep them alive. Yeah. So instead, she's getting more judgment. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, especially right from a person that you know you would want to be close with, right? The outside world, people who don't know you, you're like, okay, you know, that's I expect that. But from somebody close to you, you you want them to love you and to accept you and respect you, and especially your son, you know, that's. Your, your children, you want them to respect you, yeah. not to be ashamed of you so that, you know, like their coworkers are talking about you and then you will have to stop them because you're so ashamed. Yeah. Yeah. And then she goes on to the panel where um, she kind of says, oh, yeah, maybe you're right. And I am naive. And then starts to call him um, basically a self-centered asshole. And then they go into their little you dumbass type thing, which 
don't know. I thought that was endearing, the fact that they mirrored each other. Uh, One thing I wanted to point out, well, yeah, one thing I'll point out now, actually. Did you guys notice Poppy's in the distance when you still see her pink hair flying? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I thought that was like a really cute little detail. You know what's coming. Yeah, no, I didn't see it. That was cute. <laughs> <laughs> I appreciated the realistic background. There's like a construction mm-hmm. site in the back or something, and it looks very real. That was cool. Oh, yeah, I see that. When she's like rounding the corner and he's hiding from her. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So also, I, I want to point out that when she runs away and she says, you dumbass, and she stomps away, that she's reached the point of flooding, I believe the, the term is, where she can't engage anymore. She's too overwhelmed and she, she can't constructively communicate. So in the you dumbass is like a very, just like a, a cry. Like it's not, it's not communicating any information. It's not a, a connection. It's just anger, upsetness, you dumbass, and, you know, stomping away. She's reached the, the breaking point. She can't continue this conversation anymore. She's too emotionally distraught. Yeah. So, you know, Ben Benjamin is still looking down and he says, Well, you asked, dumbass, which like you said is mirroring. And then, you know, tap tap. Um, Benjamin looks and he sees it's it's Poppy and he's like, Oh shit, she's back. And he, he hides, right? He goes behind the corner and he hides. And at this point, um, you know, it's a bit of a, a flashback to whose umbrella is this? The chick that spent ten minutes counting out coins for her groceries. You know, she's retrieved her umbrella. And it's a flashback to, you know, um, when she was checking out, she didn't have enough money. And the clerk was like, oh, you could remove an item if you don't have enough money for everything. What about a thermometer costs the most? And she said, I'm sorry, I need the thermometer too. Give me a moment. I'm almost done. Which, by the way, is just like very magnificent of Poppy. It's for magnanimous, I meant. <laughs> magnificent too. Um, for her to spend her last money on like food and a thermometer for Torah when we know Torah has plenty of cash, right? And he's actually given her some of her cash. Remember when um, she gave Ben like $50, but then Tora gave her back more money. So some of this money is actually like, it's actually Tora's. So yeah, I mean, Poppy is just a generous, caring person. You can see how much she cares for Tora that she's spending her last dollar for him. And she's just like a, she's just a very kind person. You know, that's the kind of person she is. She's generous, giving, and, um, you know, maybe a little sometimes not she's selfless so you know to the point of maybe harming her own self-interest but she's going to do that for the people she cares for yeah i think what's so clever that lily does is these flashbacks like i'll be honest the first time i read them i'm like what the heck is going on because <laughs> there's there's so many flashbacks and you have to reread previous and then you finally put the timeline together in your head and I think that's one of the reasons why this comic is just so appealing because there's new details and new, there's recontextualization to everything. Um, and it's just a really fun mental game that she kind of lays out for us. And I actually wanted to make one more observation since now we're back to the umbrella. If you guys scroll up to, where is it? There we go. It's when um, the three workers were talking outside about Ben's mom. And it's the phrase where it says, nothing, man. We were just talking about, um, oh, for F's sake, just say it to his face. If you look in the window, you see her umbrella. Yeah, (laughs) good point. I don't know if you guys saw that. You can see the umbrella. Nice. (laughs) So one of the things that I started doing, actually, because, like, Lily has such an eye for detail, is I'll read the comic like 
multiple times just to get the timeline straight and to remember like what's going on from this to the last one or whatever flashbacks. And this one in particular has so many references to go back to. Uh, but one of the other things I like to do is just to look at the backgrounds. Um, after I read all the bubbles, like maybe three or four times, I just look at the backgrounds and see what you can pick up. Cause usually she just includes so much, uh, that either adds to the story or just adds to the richness of it. Like that little umbrella. <laughs> That's awesome. I, I really like that. I should start doing that too. I, I definitely read it a couple of times, but I like that idea of reading it with separate layers in mind. Yeah. Because I think if you remember, too, she she has been putting more effort into her backgrounds, too. And why not appreciate them? Like, just the amount of work. I think she has a separate uh, assistant just for backgrounds, if I'm remembering. Yeah, she has four assistants. I don't know exactly what each of them does, but yeah, their backgrounds and something else. But yeah, I mean, I'm not, I don't draw and I mean, I draw a tiny drop, I guess, but I don't draw out background. I don't know how much you know, how how to do that stuff, but like, it's definitely amazing. So Benjamin now has this, you know, he, he feels a uh, guilt feeling. He's, uh, you know, sweating and he says, is she really that broke? And he, he thinks back to her, you know, when she was dressed in Ara Street and, you know, or Dean's clothing. And he says, I thought she was some corporate executive dressed like that. But now she just looks like a broke college kid. So kind of feels guilty. And, you know, he's remembering how she was kind to him. I can't go to a doctor, stupid. They'll call my parents and I'll be sent back to the delinquent center, which again, parents. So he has parents. Was he just saying that? You know, he was just saying that. Yeah. Because then, so, yeah. then he says in one of the next frames, I just didn't want to, want to waste time explaining it to mom. I, yeah. I'm, I'm pretty confident she was a single mother. That's just my inference. I think he was just lying to Poppy's face, to be honest. Yeah, which has also the presence of mind to be lying like that when you've just been knocked on the floor, you know, little Benjamin. <laughs> Either that or he's so desperate that like he just, you know, he's able to, to avoid that even when he's been hurt. And, you know, he, he says, no wonder she brought him my story by not going to a hospital. <laughs> she's a dumb college yeah. kid. <laughs> and, you know, he's like, eh. um, and he goes back to the, you know, the texting. And he, he's remembering how basically when he woke up in Quincy's bed or whatever, the guest bedroom, uh, he saw the pin there and, you know, it was glinting and it's quite large, actually. Mm -hmm. So then he's like, how can I get this damn thing to alley a person without being ID'd? And um, then again, he's remembering, you know, his coworkers talking, you know, was she any good? Any good? She's the star of the whole showman. And instead of being like, I mean, I guess it's kind of a lot to ask, but like some people will be like, oh, yeah, my mom's the star of the show. I don't know if anyone really would do that, but he's, you know, he just says, God damn it. Like, this is something that's so emotionally, you know, upsetting to him. He can't handle that. Yeah, it seems like he's torn. I'm very interested to see what decision he's going to make. If he's going to sell it, if he's going to, in good conscience, maybe give it back to Quincy or if Dora's going to track it down for Poppy. Who knows? I really do feel empathy for both of the characters who had been previously painted in a negative light. And I think that this is really um, a good way to understand them better. Right. Blue, Blue Katie was actually talking about this, how like this episode shows that in this whole comic, everybody is not what they appear. You know, we, we did think negatively of, I didn't really think negatively of Benjamin, but Candy, I thought she was just as ditz, you know? And um, 
but yeah, we've been, we were, we're seeing a deeper side to people and we're seeing that everyone is more than what they appear to be in good ways. And then just going, this is, it, it's more based on previous chapters, but I was really interested in the flowers um, that are next to his bed. They were already there before he got there. Um, but when I was looking around at Quincy's apartment, he actually did have a lot of plants. And I had this thought, like, he would totally be that person that would do a plant tour of his house on YouTube. <laughs> yeah. I would totally watch that, too. I, yeah. <laughs> it would be Poppy fun would be. and entertaining. Yeah. And he and Poppy would probably have a long conversation about plants. <laughs> yeah. And probably Tora messing them up because if you remember, he was twirling. Stop twirling my girly plant. (laughs) (laughs) Oh man, he should totally have his own YouTube channel. (laughs) Oh, we should totally make that for him. (laughs) We should cosplay Quincy and just make a YouTube channel. That would be fun. That would be so much fun, and you could like advertise for this, but say like he's the star of the show. (laughs) <laughs> right because Quincy is quite self-centered so you know in his yeah. world he's the star of Midnight Popular <laughs> the hero <laughs> right and Taurus the sidekick <laughs> okay so now we segue into the second part of the episode we step away from you know this dreary um, you know upsetting conversation and we get into a whole different atmosphere we go to Giant Goldfish Publishing everything again is bright and we start off with Quincy like this, good morning, Jacob. And who was it that pointed out? Um, Nordor? Yeah, Nordor pointed out that Quincy's outfit is like an amalgam, 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 whatever, of everything amalgam, he's worn previously. Yeah. He has like oh, yeah. the the cheetah, right? So he's animal print, his animal print outfit. He has the palm leaf, which he's worn, you know, in, in the old picture and, and, and more recently. He has like sweater vest which is i think he's wearing a sweater and she said like he's wearing green like he's wearing last time so this is like just all his quintiness thrown together yeah. <laughs> it's the kind of outfit that like would look terrible on everybody else but oh it, it it's just it's interesting on him it can it can sort of work it's like it's pushing the boundary of super nerdy slash super cool you know it's those between the two <laughs> i think his calves definitely help <laughs> yes <laughs> Someone had said, oh, like, why are his calves so big? Um, Because I just carried Tora up six flights of stairs. <laughs> I was like, that makes sense. <laughs> yes, um, it's the physique of a person wearing an outfit definitely lends it an atmosphere. And his dainty mannerisms. Oh, my God. He's, he's such a character. I just imagine him just bursting in and like the sing-song voice like good morning (laughs) absolutely yep I love that love it so much you know Jacob responds in a much more calm manner he's like hey man good to see you again and oh hey where's pops I think she's getting her notes ready or something she should be here in a minute and I like how you know Jacob's pose by the way just to me shows that he's very comfortable there and I like that, you know, I like to see a happy office. And we, we've talked about this on the podcast before where, you know, clearly there's a casual atmosphere, which was why like, and even with Gil, right? We, we think of Gil as creepy, but like from the way that they treat him, they're clearly very comfortable with him and they laugh with him and they joke with him like, oh, I'll get you dessert, blah, blah, blah. 
So it's nice to see that there's a very healthy atmosphere at the office. And again, we're about to see who's going to walk in here. Somebody who is not used to friends bantering and like a happy place. And like there's these affirmative, you know, affirm- affirmative signs on the wall with like, what do the signs say? Um, every accomplishment starts with the decision to try. Right. Which, by the way, if we're going to talk about the comic, you know, like Tora is thinking now, should I even try to get out of the clan? Should I try for a better life? And it's like, yes, you should. Yeah, There's a right. second sign, too, that says, make today ridiculously amazing. Yeah. It took me a couple scrolls through, but that's what that says. I actually initially thought that the sign changed and it was like an Easter egg, but it not, going back, it looks like there are two signs. Two. Yeah. 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 So I think that the whole atmosphere, you know, this is a, this is an environment that Torah has never been in before. And, you know, this is a complete contrast to like the world of, of mistrust and, and, you know, where he was talking to Gayu, how, you know, every person he meets, he thinks is going to stab him in the back. And here there's this friendly atmosphere, this jolly atmosphere. It's very filled with light. It's professional. And it's just, I think Torah being introduced to this world is a really good step for him. And we'll see how much he gets to interact. Like, I don't even know why he's here to begin with, but maybe we'll, you know, we'll probably find out next episode. But, and I don't know how much he'll come back to this office, but if he does, it might be a good place for him to be re-educated and to understand, mm-hmm. you know, what life outside the clan could be like and how he could get, you know, have real friends. I want to see him interact with Irene. It's going to be so interesting. Uh, yeah. Vinci doesn't drive. So <laughs> Tora is probably doing all the driving because if you in the later on in the comic he's asking I mean, obviously we know that that there is some like innuendo hardcore, but he I mean, in earlier comics he's like, Oh no, I don't do the driving. Tora does all the driving. Like I get into too many accidents or whatever. Right, and of course you can't take public transportation. <laughs> or walk when you're that loaded. <laughs> <laughs> Princess. Princess. Yeah. So so now he's telling him, he's like, oh, by the way, and his whole attitude, by the way, Quincy, um, we talked about this in, in, I don't remember which episode it was in. Oh, yes, I remember. It was the episode where he drags him up the steps, you know, where he, he Quincy minimizes himself a lot. You know, he's like, oh, by the way, right? He withdraws into himself and he makes himself appear harmless. And we talked about this, you know, we, we when he took Quincy, Tora up the steps, we also a deeper side of Quincy that we never saw before. And we started realizing that he might have have, uh, chosen to minimize himself throughout his life to avoid being placed in a situation into the clan where he would have to step up to the plate and do all the violent things. And by making himself a weakling, his father like gave up on him. And probably that's why he got Torah instead. And that's Mm -hmm. a very interesting way of protecting himself, Um, you know, to make himself appear like this dandy and then everyone leaves him alone, which is so interesting how people have different reactions. And even, you know, little kid Quincy might have had the unconscious understanding of how to how to protect himself and how to avoid doing things he doesn't want to do. You know, someone like Tora is a little more blunt. You know, he's a blunt force. He's just reactive. He's more out there. Quincy is a little, I think, more... um, there's a little more of a, a layer to him and he's able to, I think, understand people's emotions and manipulate them more to, yeah. to his advantage. Whereas Tora is just, everything's out there. Rough, rough, rough. I think kids are a lot more prescient than we give them credit. Um, I mean, when they realize, I mean, I think a lot of it is just innate trial and error. Um, they're little scientists. So if they see that they get the treatment that they want when they act this certain way, we view it as manipulative, but that's survival for any child. 
I mean, um, kids will do whatever they can to get what they want. Um, and so Quincy probably just figured it out. If I act like a, a wuss, if I, you know, if I cry a lot, if I do this, then they won't treat me as harshly or they'll just, you know, whatever. Or he could be, you know, um, self-confirming kind of bias where everybody thought that because he was such a so girly that somehow he couldn't take the throne and so he's just confirming that that bias yep so i like how by the way we got in this whole discussion just from like this little hand motion that he made which is again because lily is a master portraying body language and just and developing a character that is that has layers to them because Everything is interconnected. Everything, everything has meaning in this comic. So he says, by the way, and he, um, you know, it, it's blurred out at whatever he says to Jacob. And Jacob says, huh? And then you proceed, you know, you see Quincy with, again, more of his amazing calves. And <laughs> 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 we can't lust after every single member of this comic, but apparently we can. And he says, yeah, there's, Quincy has started feeling a lot more to um, to that side of me as he as we progress. So he says, "Hey, pops!" And Poppy is looking adorable herself. She's wearing this yeah. cutoff vest, like very um, '90s, I think, right? Early '90s, yellow with flowers, and you know, she's wearing um, crop jeans. What's the word? The like that length? I forgot. Cargo? No. Capri. Capri. Yeah, it was with a C. Thank you. Capri jeans. And just looking adorable, she has her hair in this really beautiful braid, which is something that she's done before. And her dean has commented how she's jealous of her braiding abilities. And, and just, Tora. And Tora, yes. <laughs> so we're, he's sure to notice that, I hope. <laughs> and, um, you know, Jacob's looking over at them, and then he's looking over at the door. <laughs> and then... Lily, Lily has made the door open with a creak and everything's dark and it's like a horror movie. The door's opening. Oh boy, he's looking at it. And, you know, we go back to what Quincy says. Quincy says, I wanted to give you a heads up first. Again, back to the door. Ominous, dark, spotlighted. And we see Tora's hand opening the door. And Quincy's words, my bodyguard is joining us shortly. And you see just, you know, Tora's torso and some of his, some of his profile, his neck and his chin. And he's wearing a black, um, turtleneck and he's wearing a black cap. And Jacob's like, looking all cute. And he says, Oh, hi. How are you? Waving, being friendly. <laughs> oh, <laughs> There's this panel and he says, I'm Jacob. And this panel of Tora looming into the room looking ginormous with his black turtleneck and his cap and his cute pony oh i literally stopped and yeah. i said i don't curse much but i was like fuck he's hot <laughs> <laughs> sorry people yeah. what i thought you know as you were reading that the three of us were just kind of like <laughs> so anyway so now that we um are trying to get Get over this panel. I don't know how long y'all stared at this for. I did look at this for, for some time. So Tora's coming in. He's looking completely overwhelming. He's not looking in Jacob's direction. A scan in. We have a scan in. And he says, you know, Quincy's words. He looks kind of big and mean. Yes, he does. He does look big and mean. You know, he always has that downturn expression and his jawline is set and rigid. And 
told, you know, because Jacob's like this. He's like, but he's really a relatively harmless guy. Which, why would you say that about your your bodyguard? Like, that's, you know, Quincy is undermining the very effectiveness of his bodyguard, which is obviously typical Quincy. And I guess relatively, you know. And then here's where Toro just looks at him with side eye. And we all know what he's thinking. Go ahead, Priya. If looks could kill, Jacob would be we do know why he's looking at him like that um probably the number one reason is remembering what um poppy told him about him constantly commenting on her her weight and also realizing that he was the one watching them through her webcam when he came over (laughs) the first time and she was also on the phone with him um checking in with with him when he when she went to Airy Street, so he knows him from all those contexts. Yeah, so on Facebook, there's this really funny comment. I just really wanted to read it. This was from Beth um, Kitaler, I think is how you say her last name. She literally said, you know he's registering the information like the Terminator here. <laughs> if he had read out, if he had a readout screen, it would say Jacob, relationship to Bobby, coworker. Jacob called Bobby fat, filed for termination at a later date. LOL. <laughs> and, I and I was like, yes, exactly. Oh, that. <laughs> like, nail on the head. Oh my gosh. Yes. <laughs> and then I did have one other observation to make too, just about backgrounds. Um, you guys will remember that Jacob had said he had a lot of dark notebooks. And yeah, that's pretty much it. It's just confirmation. He has a lot of dark notebooks. Mm, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yep. And you know, Quincy is like, you know, when he's back there explaining, so don't be too alarmed when you see him. Which I do like that Quincy is, you know, looking out for for Jacob and for his coworkers. Where he says, you know, he he understands that Torah is intimidating and he doesn't want them to be alarmed. Well, he, he's a thoughtful person, and I think he he's it's back to really the the Quincy of wanting everything to be good. You know, it's like back at the at the restaurant where you just tried to fix things by signing the contract and you rushed into things. You know, Quincy wants things to be pleasant. He wants he wants things to be you know, what's what I said before about him undermining the very, you know, purpose of his of Torah. He is supposed to be threatening and intimidating. But Quincy just wants everything to be positive and, you know, rainbowy and sunshiny. Avoidance. It's funny that's what that is. Jacob like totally knows that like Jacob asked him a question. How are you doing? And the only thing he got, not even a head turn, but like the side eye, like literally the side eye. And he just keeps walking. Yep. <laughs> side eye. And then just turns or looks, looks straight ahead again. You know, doesn't even give him more than that. Ignores him, goes away. And we get this shot of his boots. Um, You know, can we count up his shoes? We've had, I'm trying oh, to remember. He has like the Converse in the beginning at the train mm-hmm. station. He had the mm-hmm. white shoes that got soiled with blood, um, episode five or so. He, he has a pair of black boots. Yeah, yeah, from when he dropped down the um the black boots when he dropped down the, the gun mm-hmm. after the sniper. He had um a more fancy he, pair of dress shoes he, when he went to the restaurant. What was he wearing on Aries Street tonight? Let me find out. He has a pair of workout sneakers at the gym that I yes. <laughs> He's such a shoe person. Yeah. I can't believe we're cataloging his shoes. We're like legit remembering all of his he shoes. He has like probably 10 black shirts that are all the same shade, but like he, he shows his personality with his shoes. Yeah. Yeah. His I dino's t shirts. 
<laughs> a t-shirt. I also think it's interesting that Poppy is wearing the same little like half sneaker type shoes um, in this scene that she was that in the episode prior that Lacoste looking like with the little alligator. And that's actually an expensive brand, but I like to think that maybe she got them like at TJ Maxx or something at discount because that's totally something that I would do. <laughs> or a thrift shop. Yeah. Or Target. Target. <laughs> um, actually, Tor also has a pair of Converse with the t- Dino t-shirt. Oh, wow. So it's, so it's like, like seven. So. Okay, I'm, I'm totally going to make a Facebook post with all those shoes go back through them and count them. It's like Elizabeth Barrett Browning, you know, how do I lovely them and count the ways? How many shoes? Just, I feel like know. it's kind of a where, where's Waldo type thing too. You <laughs> get to look for the shoe, shoe shop. Yep. So Jacob's, you know, just left like this, you know, sitting in the chair with his hands still up. And, you know, Tora, now that we get this shot from Jacob's perspective, you know, he's sweating and Tora is just like, wow, he's, huge first of all and I'm, my husband's six foot four and if you guys saw him before uh, so I've never really been intimidated by size and by now I honestly it's, it's I'm so spoiled and like I think most men are tiny which is ridiculous but like because he's six foot four and like and large I just <laughs> got used to that so Tora is six foot three and built and just walking there with his like imposing like large biceps and large chest and, you know, cargo pants and, you know, he's wearing dark, you know, like khaki with his, which is his normal color, like the greens and the blacks. And wow, he's just looking very intimidating, walking right past him. He and was- Jacob's sweating and here's where, you know, well, time to get back to work. And I have no idea what Quincy was talking about. There's nothing scary about his bodyguard. <laughs> the thing yeah. is, though, I'm waiting for the moment for Jacob to recognize Tora because he's seen him before. Like it's gonna hit. I can't wait for that either. Oh, so you don't think that he recognizes that he's the Greek god? I don't think right now, to be honest, because before, like, he wasn't wearing the hat. I think once he sees him and Poppy interact, it'll click. Um, I don't think necessarily that he does right now, though. Okay. Yeah, I'm not sure, but I I guess we'll see. So, you know, now we see a shot of him, you know, just his shoes walking and he's coming up from behind Poppy. So he's, he's tall and you see, you know, Poppy looking adorable. You see her braids, you know, her cute little butt sticking out, which we know he appreciated before. And there's a little bit of her, her belly showing. So it's just like a very cutesy, you know, you can see how Tora would like be like, Oh, my adorable little pumpkin pie. <laughs> and he's coming in closer on her. Right. And then Quincy's like, Oh, hey, boo boo found a parking lot (laughs) and then this really nice panel you know it's kind of reminiscent of at the restaurant where you know he came out from behind poppy and poppy froze up you see her kind of freezing up here again she's freezing up her shoulders are tense back and her eyes widen and he's like yeah but it's too effing small yeah this is my favorite panel out of the entire episode they just look both so gorgeous um poppy is just so affected by kind of him his presence in the back like you said when he was at good runs he was that was when he was angry and standing behind her but also at Saki granny's when he came up from behind her when she after she was laughing at him for getting whacked in the head and she had that same expression that she was just like so that was so like electrifying for her and i also appreciate that that her top and his eyes match and i know we had a discussion Mm -hmm. in the last episode 
um, about the color yellow. She was wearing that yellow dress. And um, one of the podcasters had said that um, it could signify peace and courage, which I think is really nice in this context that they're moving forward. Um, but it's it's just, it, this panel is just so beautiful. It's so funny little, I don't know if anybody else noticed this, but in this one panel, you know how she has the two bur- or the two bangs going down either side? In the panel before and the panel after, there isn't that one little flyaway. So I think literally we are seeing her shock in that one little hair like, whoop, like, whoop, <laughs> what is this? But also, I think Poppy is dressing for success. Because those are erogenous zones that she is leaving open. The little nape of the neck that she's showing off with her hair braided back, the little, you know, curve of the waist and the round of the, with the little crop top, and the fact that the shirt is up away from the bottom half, which she, I mean, you can see the hips and you can see the, the little butt and everything. So she knows what she's doing. <laughs> <laughs> Do you think she knew Tora was going to be there that day? Or she was hoping? Oh. Oh, no, I'm pretty sure she knew. I'm pretty I sure. Yeah. Okay. Good for you, Tora. I mean, Poppy. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. No, she wants him. I, I think that maybe if she, even if she isn't comfortable with, you know, having him really, you know, touch her yet or anything, she does want to appear nice. <laughs> yeah. I'm just looking at that, that picture still. And I love the observation of the shirt matching his eyes. I, I don't have a strong argument. But I kind of want to say her eyes match his shirt, too. It's just her brown eyes aren't usually dark. Like, she doesn't have dark brown eyes. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's it's that, it's the mirroring again. Mm-hmm. And I'm just going to, yeah, I think that's just the way I want to read this panel because it makes me happy. Yeah. Yeah, and one thing like that, the, this picture, when, uh, when I saw it, the big thing I saw was the contrast between them. You know, Tora is giant, he's tall, and he's dressed in, in dark. And I did also notice the eyes right away matching. And she's small and petite and cute and, and dressed in yellow. And it just seems like they complement each other so well. And we know we talk a lot about how they complement each other, you know, with their personality. But this is, you know, the outside reflecting the inside, especially in art where you can be symbolic. And, um, you know, it's just this, uh, this beautiful contrast and like this kind of like melting together and just love it and the fact that like it's like you said it's complimenting it's not like they fit together which is why i think it, i want to read it as her eyes matching his shirt too because then it goes back and forth and you see that yeah he has this dark exterior but like he's a warm fuzzy ball inside and then same thing for her just she's bright and happy but she does have like a, a spine of steel and she needs to Right. And this is what Blue Katie was saying about this episode is that everybody in this episode is more than what they show on the outside, you know, but in Quincy too, with his, you know, Quincy has shown us like what we were discussing before, like a, a, an inner strength that he didn't, that he hides. So yeah, I love that. It's a beautiful shop. And you know, we're, we're still going, Jacob is still buttering to himself, you know, absolutely nothing. At all. <laughs> I, I think Poppy feels it too, feels like his spirit leaving his body because I don't know if you can see, but she kind of looks a little blankly down. Like she's like, there's a disturbance in this force. What's happening mm-hmm. here? <laughs> and it's boo-boo. Like, right. He was so intimidating when he walked through the door and then Quincy's, oh, he's just like, oh, hey, boo-boo. <laughs> <laughs> like what? 
<laughs> I love that. Yeah, I think um, Poppy in this sense was like a little intimidated that he's so close to her. I feel like she even moves a little further up. If you see the distance between them, looks a little closer. Like it's like, oh, he's right behind me. Gotta move away. Too close, too close. And she does. She moves away and she moves, she turns around, she flips around. So she's next to Quincy. And now, oh dear. Now, you know, Tora's like, oh, the parking lot's too small, right? Which uh-huh. parking lot's too small? Okay, fine. And it's just an opportunity for, for this wonderful interaction where Quincy says, how small? And you can always take my car instead of yours. And Tora's like, what? You think your car's bigger? My car's bigger than yours? And Quincy's like, you know, completely in this like very innocent face. He's like, uh uh-huh, pretty sure it is by a few inches even. Because <laughs> everyone talks about cars by inches. This is very, very normal. <laughs> it's so good. Adorable. He's supposed to be the erotic writer, not Tora. <laughs> Yeah. I was like, Quincy, you're an erotica novelist and you have a colorful sex life of your own. Like, how is this going over your head? I can't. Are you sure it's going over his head or do you think he's just playing along just so that way Tora, he can be a good wingman for Tora? Yes. Yes. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Tora, you know, Quincy, again, playing innocent and, you know, pretending to be less uh, strong and savvy than he really is. <laughs> Oh my god. It's adorable. And especially, you know, and then Tora responds, lucky me, which is like, yes, that's what we're all supposed to be thinking. Lucky you, Tora. A lucky poppy. <laughs> it's so dry. Lucky me. <laughs> but he like also knows it. <laughs> yep. And he's like, Well, I guess that's not a problem for you then, as long as you don't plan on coming every day. Um Except which, which uh, I'm trying, I'm trying to understand that in the context of the car. So he's saying if he if he takes Quincy's car, then Tora can drive him and fit in the parking lot. Am I am I understanding that? Just the practicalness of this? Yeah. Okay. I think so. Yeah. So too distracted by the innuendo <laughs> to get back to the real conversation. So, and then Quincy's like, "Well, I would love to. I'm not sure if I would could even if I wanted to." And <laughs> Poppy's laughing here. Do you think Poppy's laughing because of the the sexual innuendo? Like, do you think that her, that's what she's laughing at? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Definitely. Imagine like Tora. I'm sure he's also putting some like affect to what he's saying. So he's probably sitting there going, um, "So what? You think my car is bigger than yours? You know that kind of affect." And then she's like catching on, and she's probably. I mean, and I think. I mean. Poppy reads all these dirty novels herself. You think that she's innocent in this? No, I think she's the dirtiest one of them all. <laughs> Twilight fan fiction. <laughs> Maybe she even posts some. <laughs> I'm just being meta, you know, Poppy posting on AO3. But <laughs> not possible, but anyway, um, let's pretend. Quincy says, let me check my schedule. <laughs> I died. <laughs> funny yeah of course he has a planner and you know here poppy you know she's covered her mouth with her her hands and she's glancing at torah and this next panel torah is basically he's also covering his mouth with his hand as well they both have that expression he's also trying to hide a smile and they're looking at each other and it's so cute oh yeah i know megan same expression it's adorable they're like having a normal interaction with each other they're they're flirting, they're bantering, they're they're you know connecting to each other, like they're treating each other like a normal like developing boyfriend girlfriend. 
this is so nice to see. This is like healthy. This is normal. This is like people, normal people things. It, it makes me wonder um, how it, how is Tor going to respond to that? Because he's never had normal relationships, normal anything. Mm-hmm. So having a normal relationship developing normally, is that going to feel normal to him or is that going to feel really, really, really wrong? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, he was pushing it away this whole time because he, he didn't want to accept that. Besides for like, yeah, besides for like the, the danger part and like the concern for Poppy part, I think there's also like this whole emotional thing for him, which is like, how do I let this thing in my life? And, you know, he's never received love before. So like for him to receive love, you know, sometimes people unfortunately push things away that even things that are good for them because it doesn't feel right. And, you know, we talked about like people um, choosing abusers um, because that's all they've known. And like, sadly, you know, I, I, we probably all know people in our personal lives, but remember when I was a kid, one of my classmates, her father was abusive. And like, I, I, since I was a kid, I had heard the story where her mom, um, her parent, like her, her mom, so her grandparents were begging the mom to like leave her husband. And she said, so they finally convinced her to leave and she left and she packed up and then she, she went back for a pair of shoes that she, she left behind and her husband was there and he convinced her to stay and like, she stayed there forever. And, um, you know, as far as I know, they're still married, but you know, that was, you know, people, people tend to choose things that, that they, that they know that they're used to. So for him to, to suddenly receive love and affection and happiness, it's, it's probably very emotionally hard for him. I don't think he's made a choice yet, actually. Um, I think one of the, like, one of the reasons he reacted so viscerally to the restaurant scene was the fact that his choice was taken away. His choice was to protect Poppy, not to be in the relationship with her. And I think it's kind of, he's starting to see that the chemistry is really real to them. Like, it's really real for them, especially when she came to visit the apartment. And the way I read the dream sequence was that he kind of has this imminent choice approaching type of thing. And even though he really wants to choose Poppy, it may not necessarily be what he does end up choosing for himself. Like, the... like. I have a feeling we're going to see more conflict with him, to be honest, because it's been out of his control and it continues to be out of his control because he's not there to see Poppy. He's there as a bodyguard for Quincy. It's it's not within his control. And I think right now what we're seeing is just him making the best of it because this is what he wants, even though it's not what he chose. And I think further down the line, we'll see more of that recollection or sorry reconciliation within himself uh because i don't think this is a resolved issue at all like at all right i agree i don't think he's made a choice either like and i agree he's here just because um because he's with quincy and i do think at this point like he can't help himself you know he he's connecting with her because he just feels so strongly with her and yeah i don't think it's a a choice even the like the asking for the beach um the other episode where he he woke up from the dream and he was like okay i want to go to the beach with you and you know we did talk about we said oh it's, he's choosing poppy he's choosing poppy emotionally he isn't making that rational decision oh i'm going to be with poppy now and all the you know attended details and like the the suffering and the you know the physical danger that comes with it that that's way too complicated but i do think emotionally he's reaching out to poppy because he just needs her and here he's reacting to poppy because they just connect so much yeah Oh, you're so cute. So now, you know, <laughs> Bobby, you know, he's like, uh, Quincy's going on in the background. I'll be coming today, tomorrow. 
totally oblivious. I mean, it looks like he's oblivious and not paying attention to them, which is good. And, you know, Poppy's like wagging her tongue. She's like, stop it. You know, <laughs> involved. <laughs> Typical, you know, like, oh, stop, Tora. Don't, you know, with your innuendo. And he's just, here's this next panel of him like, oh, sorry. I just made like another realization with their outfits. Quincy's kind of like a blend of Tora and Poppy right now. Oh. Like if you kind of squint sideways, especially with the shirt, it's like yellow and dark. There's green on it. That's good. Yeah, that's true. He 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 is the bridge between the two of them right now. He's the reason yeah. that they're both there. I mean that they're they're together. Mm-hmm. So this next panel of Tora, where he's just holding himself back from laughing, and you see two things: his dimples and his crow's crow's uh, things at his eyes, uh, with crow's feet. It's called, and it's so so adorable. It's beyond. Ah, can't. It's just gorgeous and cute. And like, you know, it's good to see Tora happy. And um, Clyde Sousa had this whole long comment about Tora and his smile. And he, I'll just quote a little bit of it. She said that, you know, this is a smile of something that you're getting back, the bliss of getting something that you've considered mm-hmm. lost back or where dreams can come true. And I do think that, yeah, I don't think he's intellectually there yet. I don't think he intellectually thinks like, oh, I'm getting my dreams come true and everything's going to be fine and dandy from now on. But I think there's the hope. I think that there's this emotional connection where he's like, he's happy and he's enjoying himself and he's just having fun with a girl he loves. And like, you know, is it going to be something someday? Is he allowing himself to hope? Maybe on an emotional level. I think that things are picking up for him and it's just adorable. It's great to see him happy. It's good to see him, this big guy you know, who a second ago was super intimidating. Now he's just being all cute. I think this is one of the few times that we see an actual and genuine smile from Tora. A lot of times what he does is, and I, and I recognize this, this is um, kind of putting on an act of social norms. So, you know, when everybody else is laughing at a joke, you smile and you laugh along, you know, and, but you can always tell it's at a surface level. There's, there's no depth to his jovialness whenever, I mean, even his uh, sexual jokes, I think, are some, sometimes defense mechanisms to, you know, um, direct away from the thing that he doesn't want you to actually see, you know, vulnerability, of course. Um, but we're, we're seeing that bold smile where you see it in his eyes. You see it even like in his cheeks up here. You're, you're getting not only the dimples right here, but some of the dimple like line smile lines up here. Those all together show that he's actually smiling and not just recreating it to create like, uh, just to keep things copacetic. Copacetic? Copa- copacetic. Is that how, right? Oh, cool. I've never heard that word. That's very, that's nice. To oh. That up. Okay. No, no, I have to do that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not good at like coming up with the definitions. Yeah. I'm assuming it means, um, pathetic as in pathos, meaning emotions. So copacetic meaning, uh, similar. Mirroring someone's emotions. What? No, in excellent order. Copacetic. Like keeping things in order. Never mind. <laughs> I guess it's not spelled <laughs> P-A-T-H. Okay. Oh, no, no, no. C-O-P-A-C-E-T-I-C. Copacetic. Okay, cool. I, I must have added a little. <laughs> no, it's fine. I was The brain is interpreting in light of the information I already have. So, yeah, no, it's fine. Your pronunciation was good. So, now, Tora says, you know, she's like, stop it. And he says, make me, right? Tap, tap. <laughs> in other words, reward system, blush, kiss me. 
I don't remember who it was, but I saw someone like someone posted uh, hoping that Tora would drag her into a closet and steal a kiss. Wait, sorry, I didn't hear something about Tora. Oh, yeah. I think it was a Facebook or Patreon comment. I don't remember who it was, but someone had said um, that they hoped Tora would take Poppy into a closet and steal a kiss. <laughs> that would be nice. Oh, my God. I think his two fingers here is twofold. He's like tapping his lips, but also signifying that, you know, his new addiction reward system instead of the cigarettes. Yeah. Yeah. It kind of yeah, looks like cigarettes too. Like he's about to smoke, but he's not. Yeah. And I yeah. think it, this exchange, the stop it and make me, it's like kind of whispered under their breath. Cause if you look at, it's like dash lines around the speech bubble instead of solid lines. They're kind of doing it like right under Quincy's nose. Well, Quincy is tends to be self-absorbed, so I can see him missing this interaction. <laughs> so, and I think they both probably recognize that about Quincy. And you know, Poppy at this point, you know, as she reacts with making me, she pauses. Her finger is like still up there in the air, and then it's like extreme blush. Her whole face is red. She's, you know, exhaling air. There's air bubbles. Her cheeks are puffed out, and covers both of her hands with her hands and. That's how it ends. Little hamster Poppy, red as a bee. <laughs> she looks like she's about to explode. <laughs> like the fandom. Those darn red blood cells that she has. <laughs> Adorable. Yes, she's definitely, she's still embarrassed by any mention of kissing. And even Tora, right? Tora's a little embarrassed too, asking, which yeah. I like. You know, it shows that, like you were saying before, Megan, and we talked about this before, he used his sexual innuendo as a way of deflecting you know, uh, of being funny, but when he's blushing by asking, that's showing that he actually does have emotions associated with that request and that it is something that's soft, you know, soft to him and as opposed to his heart and it does embarrass him. Aww. There was one last comment too that I really liked that someone had brought up. Um, from you guys, why do you think he's wearing a turtleneck? Oh, to cover up the Baltimore clan. Uh, yeah. He's used makeup in the past to cover it up. So this is from Yolanda, um, Yolanda Miguez. She said that he might be wearing a turtleneck to cover up a bite. <laughs> <laughs> so my question is, where do you think Poppy bit him? Put it up in the neck? Oh, oh, it's already known, like on his collarbone. Well, you, yeah. But yeah, it's possible. Uh, yeah, but that—that's the, the hickey could be. I mean, maybe <laughs> if they had some behind-the-scenes action, we didn't get to see. <laughs> <laughs> Just food for thought. It made me happy. It made me smile to see that too. Yeah, somebody else. I forgot who. Uh, two people. But sorry, Adam. I didn't write this down. But we're commenting like, what's the weather like in Erin where Poppy's wearing this like crop top and Tori's wearing this turtleneck? You know? It looks more like those Under Armour shirts that are really super thin. Um, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, those. yeah. Could be. He, he would be likely to have that kind of thing because he works out. So good point. Whatever it is, it's as people have described him, it's not a word I use so much, but he looks fine. <sighs> oh, boy. So what are your thoughts on this episode overall? I mean, there's, there's two very different segments here. There's the very serious, heavy-hitting segment with Candy and Ben, and then there's this adorable segment with uh, with Poppy and Tora, which I think also is like Lily's good storytelling. You know, 
alternating the two so we don't get too overwhelmed with either <laughs> so we have serious content plus fluff and fun yeah i thought it was a great transitional episode i really really enjoyed that contrast i almost feel like we analyzed two different episodes <laughs> <laughs> yeah i always feel like they're so short <laughs> <laughs> poor lily like here she is working you know like 80 hours a week She's like, oh short, yeah no short. <laughs> they, they just feel so short that's how quick i go through them <laughs> <laughs> What, what's your like reading schedule because I, I know like everyone has their own way of like um ingesting music like, poppy land so i usually read it like slowly the first time and then i read it again that night like the first night that i read it and then i read it again in the morning <laughs> and then like as i'm preparing for the podcast and then like i read it again when they do that analysis you know uh, live on the with podcast and then i read it like throughout the week just for fun whenever i feel like it <laughs> how do you how do you guys read uh, midnight poppy land yeah, so I usually like read it when it first comes out, kind of like what you said. And I feel like I don't even process everything because there's just so much going on. It takes a couple of read-throughs to kind of pick up on everything. And normally I'll go back an episode or two just to get the full context because that's just the way they tell their stories. It's not complete within each episode. And then I'll read it just for the backgrounds. Um, this will be like Saturday into Sunday now. Uh, just kind of getting my thoughts together and um, kind of sporadically through the week. I do this with books too. I'll kind of like swipe up and down randomly like through the chapters and just pick one and then I'll just read that and just kind of like leave it kind of random to chance because all the chapters are really great and I know that there's going to be some little nugget that I may have missed to be honest in the first however many times I read something. Right. I think that's it, my exact schedule. I don't process it the first time. I just want to get through it because I've been so anxious refreshing for like an hour. <laughs> yeah. Several more times that night, go back a few episodes, back and forth, and then sporadically throughout the week pick. I have a few favorite spots that I like to pick up um, that I do just as a pick me up. Oh, yeah. And I've known people to, who said that, like, they have episodes that they go back to for fun, yeah. you know, for, for like, if they've been through, if uh, Tor and Poppy have just had this argument, you know, they go to, like, the sweet Patty's that she goes to the balcony scenes, you know, to, to pick her up. How about you, Megan? How do you, how do you read the Night Populand? Um, so the, right now, the episodes for me drop after I, right as I'm getting off of work, usually. Um, and so, my my husband lost his job in July, so he's being my lovely chauffeur for me. Aww. So I get to actually um, kind of read it while on the drive home because I um, live about 30 minutes away from work for me, um, so a small commute. And I never get much in the first reading because it's usually – because for me, it's like – while I love romances, I'm, I'm one of those kind of people where I'm like, I don't really like romance. I'm not that kind of person. Like, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm this tough, stoic, like, um, sun, um, sundere, or, um, I forgot the name of it in, in anime, but a lot of people have described me as that where I'm like very stoic, but then on the inside, I'm actually really gooey and mm-hmm. it's kind of gross. And so I'll be sitting there reading and then all of a sudden something really cute will happen. I'll be like, I can't read this right now. I can't do this right now. And then I have to give it a hot second while I'm like, okay, I think I can look at the cute again. And then I'll just go back through and I'll be like, oh no, I can't. I got to put this back down again. This is too cute. 
that's like my first read through of me just can't I just can't get I can't do it and then I finally I'm like okay I got through all the cuteness and then I go back and then I analyze by zooming in very closely at things (laughs) (laughs) so depending on how good the episode was there'll there'll be a lot of read throughs but sometimes it's just you know a couple <laughs> just a couple. <laughs> That's the bad, the, the bad episodes, right? They're just a couple. Those are the episodes where I'm like, okay, you know, I've gotten as much information as I want to get out of this, but then there are some where it's like, I swear to God, if they were books, they'd be pretty worn through. <laughs> yeah, for sure. I'm, I've been having a lot of problems at work, and I, I need, I need just things that are pick me ups. But you guys, I mean, I can't even complain with you two going into COVID war, basically. No, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. I, I have autoimmune stuff. I, I take two different suppressants. And so I'm like, I, I had to get special accommodations. I can't have any patient-facing contact just because, oh, yeah, no. <laughs> yeah. Okay, guys. Well, I think we've been going at it for like two hours, which is starting to be the new normal. I think it's actually oh been three. We started at ten. We talked for a while before, so I don't remember what time we started recording, but it's definitely been two hours. So <laughs> I think we should, um, especially if I want to get this episode up tonight, <laughs> I think we should, we should end. Does anyone have any final thoughts before we, before we sign off? Thank you. This was so much fun. I had the best time. Can't wait to be back. Yes. Be it, was, it was awesome. And thank you. And I'll have everyone know we started at, at like, yeah, we officially signed up. We, we designated the time to start at 10 p.m. Eastern Standard. Which was at least for um, like me and Megan, you're in Pennsylvania, right? I'm, I'm, I'm in, in Oregon. Oregon, sorry. Okay, you're in Oregon, sorry. And you're in Pennsylvania, but, and Priya, you're Pacific, right? Florida. Eastern. Florida. Okay, yeah. So for three of us, it's temp- it started at 10 p.m., which is just like shows. We're like, sure, I'll start doing something like on bedtime. So we <laughs> love Midnight Popular so much that we're willing to stay up. But like, so. so I have is- a confession to make, actually. Yeah. Um, my bedtime has been nine o'clock because I've had been having to wake up at four for work or sorry, four thirty for work. And I was like, Harry, this is my boyfriend. You have to help me stay up these next couple of nights so I can do this podcast. Oh my gosh. <laughs> I've been training to stay awake. I'm so happy I didn't fall asleep. Wow. Oh my gosh. So you have to wake up at four thirty tomorrow? Luckily no. <laughs> okay. Okay. Um, I was like, oh <laughs> no, I get to sleep in tomorrow. Don't worry. Wow. <laughs> yeah, tomorrow I actually do have to. Um, I'm helping a friend out with. I babysit her kid twice a week, like five in the morning. So, so I do have to wake up early tomorrow. But um, but yes, but it's worth it. So <laughs> I hope you get rest soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm gonna put this episode up now, so it'll take a bit of time, but not too much. But thank you so so much for coming on. This was fantastic and it was wonderful and thanks for, you know, bearing with us with like the first time doing this this format. Okay, awesome. We talk about how consent is important, you know, with between Torah and Poppy and I I try to make that important, you know, relevant here too. Okay. Thank you so much for having us. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Yep. Okay. Have a great night. Thank Good you night. so much for Good contributing. Night, really, really, really appreciate it. It's a fantastic conversation. Mm-hmm.